scripture reading for this evening comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. God and Father, as we now approach your word and reflect on your coming, pray that you would be near all of us, though we are sinful, as we sit under its authority, and be near me, though I am sinful, as I proclaim it. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ, our King, has come. If you've been with us the last four Sundays of Advent here at Kish, we have been talking about how it is all about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus, the gospel is about Jesus, our families, suffering, been talking about the centrality of Christ and all those things. And of course, the reason we've been doing that, we said, is because people often note that it's easy to lose sight of Christ in Christmas, but we can do that in Christianity as a whole. This is now the point where we need to talk about Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus too. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're just going to take this passage from Colossians, this hymn of praise to Jesus, and reflect on three truths from it. And then from that, I'm going to ask us to reflect on two things as we think about Christmas and as we prepare our hearts to celebrate his coming. Three things, and the first is that Jesus Christ is the king of creation. Jesus is the king of creation. We pick up in verse 15 of Colossians 1. Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul says, first, that Jesus is the image of God. What does that mean? Back in Genesis 1, at the beginning of Scripture's story, it tells us that humanity is made in the image of God. That's how we are created. And in Genesis, what that means for humanity is two things. It means, first, that humans are supposed to be God's representatives in the world, that we come with God's authority and, um, and, and are meant to, in the ancient world, you would talk about someone being an image bearer of a king and they were like an ambassador or a servant or lieutenant of that king. And so we're supposed to be in creation in a way that says that we're going to take God's glory and goodness and in this piece of creation that we've been given, that we're supposed to image God in that and be his representative in the world. And then secondly, to be an image bearer of God was meant that we were supposed to be God's representatives to the world. So that the world, when it asked, what is God like? 
how do we know God? How are we supposed to understand him? That they were supposed to be able to look at us and get the answer to that question. And of course, in Scripture's story, because of our rebellion and sin, that image is shattered into a thousand pieces. But Jesus comes as the true image of God, first of all. He fulfills that calling. So Jesus is God's representative in the world. He comes into the world with God's authority and is working in the world, bringing his kingdom and reign of peace and goodness. And Jesus is God's representative to the world. But when we ask, what is God's like, we're able to look at Jesus and in a real sense get that answer. So Jesus, starting here for Paul, is this perfect picture of true humanity, the image of God. And he's also, therefore, the firstborn over all creation. He stands as that true human that is supposed to be the head of creation and the one that it's for. But then verse 16, Paul goes on and says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is the image of God, and Jesus is also God himself. If we just said this stuff that we said about verse 15, we might think that Jesus was just like the coolest human dude that ever lived. But Paul here clearly says, no, Jesus is the means by which the world was created. Everything on earth, everything in heaven, in the physical realm, and the the spiritual realm, that's what all that invisible dominions and authorities is about. All of that was created by Jesus. So the claim of scripture is that Jesus is the Son second person of the trinity god himself come as a human being paul tells us all things were created by the son and all things were also made through him so when god spoke the world the son jesus was actually the word that he spoke the son was the means by which all things were made and therefore all things are for him that's the last statement there that everything that is exists for the glory of god who made it ultimately and therefore for the glory of jesus Christ. When you look at the stars in the sky, when you watch the joy on your kids' faces on Christmas as they open their presents, when you suck in that breath of winter air, all of that is meant to sing the praise of Jesus Christ. And so then verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is before all things. He doesn't have a beginning. He stands in relationship to creation as its source rather than as a part of it, and in him all things hold together. He is still the king, still ruling over all things. The events of yesterday and today and tomorrow are under the sovereign control of Jesus. Jesus is the king of creation. And in particular, we need to appreciate, when we talk about Jesus, that king, Jesus God, we're talking about that, you know, for for us, that little baby in the manger on your Hallmark cards. As we celebrate Christmas, what we are celebrating is the idea that, 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 that in that particular humanity, with all of its fragility and all of its relatability to us, that that was actually God, our creator, meeting with us. And that, then, when we ask how should we celebrate Christmas, should give us a proper sense of soberness, in a sense, about this holiday. Christmas is a celebration. It's a wonderful, joyous day, but we are not on Christmas, just celebrating the mystery of birth. We are not just celebrating warm homes and family and the great deals we got for our kids on Black Friday. We are celebrating the arrival in human flesh of the Creator God, 
And that is an unsettling mystery. If you make us pause for a minute. In the familiarity of the Christmas story, we've lost that sense of that. We can say, like, Jesus is God, yay, and not have any sense of the craziness of that. I think about, like, like the shepherds. They're out in the fields. If you know the Bible story, they're minding their own business, and these angels appear to them, and an army of angels, and angels not like in our popular imagination, not like on precious moments figurines or whatever, these titanic heavenly warriors with flaming swords wreathed in glory. They appear in the sky, right? And, and a host of them, it says in all the Christmas songs, and the word host means army, right? And, and look, we think the shepherds were puzzled by that, but they weren't probably actually puzzled. Probably they thought they knew exactly what was happening, which was judgment day had arrived, and, and they were all doomed, which is why the angels, the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. That's the kind of thing that it took to announce the birth of Jesus. Tomorrow we celebrate God stepping into humanity. And that is a preposterous thought, an almost blasphemous thought. There's a reason that Jesus, they, they, you know, gets crucified essentially for saying that. The creator of the universe, the one who made all things and sustains all things and for whom all things exists, he was born. Like, I, I was there when my children were born, right? And that is a beautiful and horrifying and messy experience. And God entered in and subjected himself to that. That is what we encounter at Christmas. So that's the first reality I'd ask you to reflect on tomorrow. The weight and the wonder of that reality that our creator and king was born on this day. That is who is laying in a manger. Take some time for us to just feel some awe and amazement at that thought. It's the first truth. The second one is that Jesus is also the king of new creation. Jesus is the king of the new creation. If you pick up in Colossians 1 and verse 18, Paul says, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, this verse is in parallel to verse 15. So Paul first talks about creation, and then he starts talking about, well, the first thing he says is the church. And again, you've got you to adjust kind of your instincts, because whenever we hear that, we tend to picture like a building or an institution, right? You, you hear that like it's like Jesus is like the super pope or something. But in Scripture, the church is God's new humanity. He is taking human beings that are in rebellion against him, that are dwelling in darkness, and he's moving them instead into the kingdom of light and life of his son. And that's what the scriptures mean when they say the church. And so then when Paul goes on to say that he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, what he's talking about, therefore, is that Jesus is the new beginning. That in his life and in his resurrection, what Jesus does is start this new story in the middle of the old. He, he created the world, humanity rebelled and is broken, but then in Jesus Christ, God enters back in and starts a new story of redemption again. He's building a new world in the middle of the old one. And Jesus will bring that new work to completion in verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in Jesus, God comes to earth and comes with a purpose, which is to reconcile to himself all things. 
To reconcile means to make right, to restore to its proper place. But what's important here, especially as it's connected to verse 18, is to recognize Paul's claim that what Jesus is is reconciling is everything. It is not just people. In just a minute, in the next section, he's going to talk about sort of human salvation and individual people getting saved. But here, he says, it's all things. Everything on earth, everything in heaven. Jesus is making peace in all things through the blood of his cross. We sometimes, often in our culture, get this unbiblical idea that the story of Christianity is a story about escape that it's about sort of souls escaping bodies or people escaping this planet. Um, We have this story where sort of sin ruins the world and God says, well, I guess I'm going to just get everyone out of there that I can and let the thing burn. And that is not the Bible's story. Scripture's story is about God coming to reconcile and restore all things that were ruined in sin, to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, as we just sang in that great old hymn. And Christ's birth kind of lends the lie to that escape story, right? Because this is not God whisking us out of the earth. This is God actually becoming a human being and entering into creation. And when he comes again, it will be to creation, to restore all things and make all things new. In the story of Scripture, it's, it's, like, it's like the Lion King, right? I was, we got Disney Plus recently, and I was re-watching old Disney movies with my kids and watched The Lion King. And, and what you see in that is, in so many ways, capturing the kind of, like, idea in Scripture, which is that you, at the start of the thing, you have the rightful king on the throne over, you know, the pride land, right? And everything is flourishing and in its right order and beautiful. And then you see this rebellion and the rightful king is deposed and you've got Scar and the hyenas running the thing. And, and you look at the, the pride land in the middle of that movie and everything is desolate and bleak. And the reason for that is because that rightful king is not on the throne, right? But the hope, of course, at the end of that movie is that, you know, Simba comes back and he's the king and he takes over. And then you get that last kind of glorious, you know, like picture of everything restored and back the way that it is meant to be. And that, in essence, is what's going on in the biblical story. It's a little more complicated because Christ comes in kind of two stages. There's two comings, his first coming. That begins this process of reconciliation, and then the second coming that finishes it. But the hope of the Christian story has always been that God is coming to restore and renew and redeem the world. Christmas, then, in Christian history, has always been a celebration of that hope. Which means that in addition to a kind of fearfulness at the idea of the incarnation, the second thing I would invite you to feel and reflect on tomorrow is the hopefulness of the promise that we see in Jesus' birth. That the king has come, is coming, will come again, and that in that we see a hope that, that all the broken things that we see around us in the world, all the broken things we see in our own hearts, all of the things that cause creation to groan, we have this real hope of the reality that Jesus is coming to heal us. We feel that hope. And then there's one more piece of the story. Like we said, there's sort of these two stages of Jesus' coming, right? We have the the Christmas in the past of his birth and then the anticipation of his return. And we might ask, why, why doesn't it all just happen at once? And the answer to that is the third truth, which is that Jesus is the king of salvation. Jesus is the king of salvation. 
Paul talks about all things in heaven on earth being reconciled to God. And then in verse 21, he zooms in on the specific human beings that he's writing his letter to, and on us. He says, you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So God is reconciling all things to himself, but central to that purpose is his reconciling us. We were once alienated and hostile in mind. We were in rebellion against God. Our humanity is broken and twisted. We are set against God. But Jesus comes as a new human being, and in his death he works this great exchange where he bears the penalty for our rebellion, and instead, as a consequence, we are invited into his new humanity. And that is then how we can present, be presented holy and blameless before God. And our calling is to believe and trust in that fact. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the gospel, that Jesus came as this new, perfect human being, God in the flesh, so that we might be reconciled to God. And our calling, therefore, is to trust in that and enter into that and make it this thing that we walk out of. So here's the question. A question that I think we need to reflect on how we answer. And that is, what do we get in Christianity? What do we get in the gospel? What is on offer for us? There are people who tend, when they answer that sort of question, to sort of list these benefits that we get in this life. And they're not wrong, right? Yes, in Christianity you can find fellowship in the community of the church. You can find good moral instruction and encouragement in hard times in life. Those are all benefits of Christianity in this life. But they're not really the central promise of Scripture story. Other people note these benefits about the life to come. And that's not wrong either, right? When our, we die, our souls are united in peace and joy with God. When Jesus returns, we'll be raised with him and we'll inherit the new heavens and new earth, right? Those are all benefits in the life to come of Christianity, but in Scripture, I don't think those are really the central focus either. In the Bible's hope, the central promise that we have, the central thing that we're to hope in, is really two interconnected things. Restored relationship with God and restored humanity. Restored relationship with God, and then out of that, restored humanity. First, Jesus has come to give us restored relationship with God. We get to have the creator of the universe as our father in that sort of relationship. We get to have this son, this one that this hymn is about. Scripture calls our elder brother. That we get to live as we were designed to live in communion with our maker in a way that flows out in life and goodness for us. And because of that, Jesus also comes to restore our humanity. That's why ultimately God has to be born. He becomes what he would say. By entering humanity, God invites us into a new humanity that rests on that new relationship with him. Yeah, those other benefits that we mentioned, those are good. But if you don't have that central, if, if that's not the central longing you're pursuing, to see that sort of re, that reconciled relationship with God and then a new life that's born out of that, you've missed the point. 
And so then the last thing I would ask you to reflect on tomorrow at Christmas is this. If that is true, if that's what Jesus is about in terms of how it relates to us, then that means that Christmas is not just an event we celebrate about the past, but it is, it is an event that we are meant to celebrate about ourselves. Now again, of course, on one level, the birth of Jesus is an event that belongs to history, right? It is not like a fable. It's not sort of a parable that he, God did actually come as a human being, was born with all that messiness. Like we said, 2,000 years ago, if you were there, you could have seen it and touched his skin and heard the baby cry. But because it happened in history and because of what it means, it is an event that is also meant to happen in a real sense in each one of us. That the sort of reconciled relationship with God that we are called to experience is in a real sense this image of Jesus, of God being born in us. That, that the work that he, did, that he does is meant to actually transform us. That we are, as, as scripture says it here in Colossians 1 and elsewhere, Christ's body with Christ as our head. We have this sort of connection with him that means that in a real sense our bodies are his physical expressions on earth. We are called to experience that kind of new relationship with God and to have that new identity. And Christmas is an opportunity for us to reflect on that. To first ask ourselves whether that is something we've really tasted of, whether we've had that sort of experience where, where Jesus is born, has drawn near, has restored a relationship with God. And then secondly, to ask what it means, therefore, to live out of that, what it means to live as that new humanity. Here's how author and pastor Frederick Buechner puts it. He says, What keeps the wild hope of Christmas alive year after year in a world notorious for dashing all hopes is the haunting dream that it, the child who was born that day may yet be born again even in us. So take time to be reminded of that this holiday season. That Jesus Christ, our creator and king, has come. That he is at work bringing new creation. And that that new creation starts as he invites us into restored relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work you have done in your son, Jesus Christ, the way you have pursued and drawn near to us. Pray that you would now build up our hearts in awe and joy and hope and love through him. Pray this in his name. Amen.